Thanks for downloading show 94 of the C-Suite podcast, produced in partnership with Fleischmann Hillard Fishburne to discuss some of the implications to businesses that the latest release of their Authenticity Gap report, Leading with Impact, has highlighted. My name is Russell Goldsmith and I was joined at FHF London's offices by Tabitha Aldridge-Smith, Head of Marketing Communications at OneWeb, a global communications company that, according to its website, is building a global communications network to deliver broadband internet from space, capable of connecting everywhere to everyone. Uh, Plus, we welcomed back to the podcast Steph Bailey, Managing Director for Corporate and Senior Partner at Fleischmann Hillard Fishburne. Uh, Now, it's over two years since I last chatted to Steph on the podcast to talk about her company's Authenticity Gap report. So before we went through some of the top-line findings and key trends it highlighted, I started by asking her to remind listeners what the report looks at and why it's so important for organisations to take note of it. So the report is our way of understanding how to prioritise communications because one of the biggest challenges we have is that every day something changes and we've said this before and um, the amount of times I've seen in presentation something about changing expectations or the changing world or it's never been the same the reality is it is not the same and for companies and for brands that makes it a very difficult place to navigate particularly when it comes to their reputation so the authenticity gap is how we look at reputation through nine drivers The interesting thing about this is that quite often a company will only look at their reputation through the perspective of their product. So they'll only think about value for money or how they're innovating or how their customers are reacting to that product. Whereas actually we found that only 51% of their reputation is based on that. A huge 49% is based on the other drivers, which can broadly be defined as societal impact and management behaviours. So when we see the backlash against um, CEO pay, for example, or how much a company is paying in tax, or when we see people talking about how um, companies give back to the community or how they look at the environment, this is all interesting perspectives which influence how a company's reputation is viewed by the wider consumers. And how was the uh, research carried out? So um, this year we went to five different markets, the UK, the US, Brazil, China and Germany. And we polled significant numbers of people in order to find informed consumers, that is consumers who are going to understand and know um, about a company in uh, a way, a level that allows us to actually get information that is um, relevant and informative. So we we polled um, around 7,000 of those consumers to get this information. And the main headline this time around? Well, for me, the big shock is how much the environment has gone up the rankings. So whilst um, when we did it two years ago, the, the big thing was data privacy and data security, whereas now it's all about the environment. And, you know, I, I look at that as the, the Attenborough effect. So that image of a whale changed the public consciousness regarding climate change. 
And then certain brands were very quick and very smart to use that image in order to kind of champion a very different perspective on the environment. Great. Well, we'll come on to that in a lot more detail um, shortly. But uh, Tabitha, maybe you can start by just giving us a little bit more background on OneWeb. Well, thank you. Uh, OneWeb has a mission to connect everyone everywhere to the internet. So everyone listening to this podcast is listening to it via the internet. You spend your whole day often in that in that space. For many people, in fact, four billion people, they do not have that same opportunity. They cannot connect to an internet connection that's decent and good enough for modern apps, video content, rich data, and many can't even connect at all. So all that connectivity that we take for granted is now absolutely fundamental to education, to healthcare, to economic growth, and you know lots of other things that uh, include entertainment and, and, in fact, the environment. So where you can't get connectivity right now, where you can't get the internet, say in the middle of the oceans, in the skies, in remote parts of the world, even closer to home, you know, there are plenty of not spots. We're going to provide internet access and we're going to do that with a constellation of 650 satellites that orbit the Earth and provide internet connectivity from space. I think it's... Fair to say that you're at the start of your journey at the moment. Do you think you have an advantage as a relatively new business? You know, you've launched your business with a strong purpose at your core. Well, we think that you can have a strong social purpose and be a profitable company. Those two are intertwined and not competing challenges. We bring benefits to schools and school connectivity, life-saving telemedicine, for example, in remote areas, um, a cleaner environment even. So right now, that that's where we see the absolute important impact. And for us, we're in the kind of scale-up mode. So we're looking to um, build trust to show people what we can do, but we have to wait till 2021 when our constellation um, becomes live to actually show people what this is all about. One of the things I also wanted to ask, though, was how you deal with legacy around company reputation or, in fact, how any business um, goes about changing the mindset of consumers that may register an authenticity or may have registered an authenticity gap, you know, on some of those nine drivers uh, that, you know, that that Steph was, was talking about earlier. Whether you have a legacy reputation or building a new reputation, the kind of principles are the same, aren't they? And kind of building your advocacy with your different stakeholder groups, the purpose to change behaviour and and be really consistent with the messaging. And I was I, I'm sort of struggling with one thing because we're um, OneWeb is a, a is a disruptive company in the industries of satellite communications. But one of the things I think about is how do we make sure that we don't use kind of authenticity or reputation as an excuse for sticking to what's comfortable so sometimes you have to you know move forward and and change change the way you talk about things change what what you'll stand for to kind of adapt to how things are changing in the world I think actually that that's that long-term thinking from shareholders that's actually crucial. Um, OneWeb is a 3.4 billion startup, and we have a, a really a passionate group of investors behind OneWeb that do see a long-term future. Um, they they started investing several years ago. Will be uh, a full constellation in 2021. They want something passionate and exciting to to talk about and, and be proud of. Steph, I wanted to ask, what about protecting that authenticity gap further down the line? So for a business that is starting out now, for example. Well, I I would say 
it's the most important thing is to predict the future. So when you talk about rockets, I think about space debris. And I think about, you know, at the moment, we're talking about the impact on Earth, but in the future, it will be the likes of Musk and, and, and Branson that will take us into space. Um, and when we get into space, what will be the, um, the future that we see? Will we see, as I envisage, like these huge kind of satellite dishes coming towards us? And, and because people aren't thinking about it, then at the moment, it's not on our radar. But... I think being able to predict the issues of the future and plan for them, not as some kind of spurious exercise, but as like as a reputation um, protecting exercise, um, is the only way that companies are going to kind of exist in the future. Well, space debris for us is is um, a, a critical question that we get asked virtually in every piece of communication and, and conversation that we have. But we, we started out, our founder said something that is on our website. He said, um, I don't want to be known on my gravestone for putting junk into space. You know, he, right at the very beginning, said, I don't want space junk and I don't want to contribute to that. And so for us, at the very beginning of OneWeb, we started to think about how do we mitigate that? What do we do to make sure that we don't uh, contribute to the, the problem of space junk. So we started thinking about environmental management in space. How do you do that? What does that look like? So we have an initiative called Responsible Space, and it's all about making sure that we keep space clean and leave no trace in space. We have uh, a plan which involves uh, designing the satellites so that they can be deorbited, um, operational practices of how you fly the satellites, and then thinking about the whole wider industry of cleaning up space and the technology you need to make sure that space can stay clean. The environment obviously is one of the, the key trends in the in the report. I, I had a few stats I wanted to read out. Um, the report actually states the rise of movements such as extinction, uh, rebellion, wide, widespread climate protests and growing public concern about single-use plastics and irresponsible energy has meant environmental action is no longer table stakes. It's business critical. And it, and it talks about um, Greta Thunberg, uh, obviously, and David Attenborough, um, you mentioned already, uh, Steph, in terms of like, driving this whole awareness. According to the findings, 70 29% of consumers are concerned about environmental issues and 59% expect companies to take a stand on climate change. And that is a huge increase on, on the previous time that, that we sat down and, and talked about this. And what that meant is protecting the environment ranks as number three in the list of, of issues that consumers most expect companies to act on. Uh, Steph, can you talk us through some of the findings here? We've been talking about the environment. In fact, we've known about this since the 60s. So the, the, um, the research is nothing new. It's not like we suddenly, you know, that David Attenborough came across that whale and it was the first time that um, the public became conscious of this. And that's interesting to me for many reasons. Firstly, the optimistic side of me, of which that there is a huge part, is delighted that companies are now kind of putting this front and centre, that things like impact investors and um, ESG audits are ensuring that it is a shareholder issue. And I think that is that is part of the change that needs to happen. But I also still am, am struggling with the fact that big investment is being made into fossil fuel companies. And I still think that the next generation, so Generation Z, 
as the our American friends would say, they don't have our forgiveness. They are not prepared to allow us to get away with this. And they are fed up. And I think if we want to really kind of ensure that our companies around are around in the future, then we need to be a bit more robust in how we look at the environment. And we don't do this as a tick box exercise for our shareholders. We do this because we are fundamentally going to change. That's my soapbox moment. That's very good. So on another podcast I present for a client of mine called Oxera, um, their managing partner, Dr. Helen Jenkins, said it will take a brave airline uh, to no longer reward those who fly a lot by enabling them to fly more and more cheaply. And the reason being getting rid of a frequent flyer program obviously is going to not be a huge competitive advantage. So the question I want to ask is how much of the responsibility is down to the business, uh, down to governments, or in fact, will it be the consumers that drive change? So, Steph, I'm going to... I I think it's a shared responsibility. I think it's um, naive to think that any one of those groups is going to be able to do this on on its own. But I do think that regulation is, uh, you know, is the impetus that for for many organisations allows them to actually put investment into that area. So I think whilst I wouldn't say it's just for governments, I do think that it is a different kind of regulatory environment that we need. Tabitha? For me, I totally agree that it's all three consumers, businesses, governments that have to work together and, and combine. And, and actually, the UN's SDGs are not optional. They're a license to operate. Uh, we've got new regulations, haven't we, around companies that have to have a more societal purpose in their reporting. So, so for me, it's being driven and, and pushed by lots of different factors, but hopefully in the right direction. And, and it's not about, I think it's brave if you don't change, really. Do you see, I don't know if this came out in the research at all, but is there a consumer contradiction in any way in terms of what people are saying they want organisations to do and stand for, but actually what they then go and do themselves? Yes, very much. Um, There is at this stage, I would say, in that behaviours haven't um, fundamentally changed whilst there is an expectation amongst the on, on the aviation sector to somehow clean up its act people aren't stopping um, their experiences so you see the rise in experiential travel and people um, finding it acceptable to go to far-flung places like India or you know Malaysia whatever it might be but not seeing the direct contradiction given the carbon emissions that um, that creates. So I think that will change, though. I think that in, we will see in the next five years um, this greater awareness will filter down to consumer behaviours, but I don't think we're there yet. Steph, what can companies do here to plug the authenticity gap? I think it's... Um, Firstly, is not to kind of make broad brush statements. I mean, greenwashing, I was around when um, that was first introduced. Um, But it is even more important now that companies don't do this because they will be held accountable. And um, social media is a wonderful thing. We can dig up so many different things, that pledges and promises that um, companies have reneged on. So 
So that the first thing is to ensure that you do exactly due diligence on anything that you say is matched by your business priorities and how you actually um, work as a business. And the, the other thing is to keep ahead of the times is to be future focused and to, you know, within your organization, there is a tendency to look just at the day to day and to fail to see where people expect you to go in the future. What, what is interesting is that the rigor that you have with your investors, consumers will expect that rigor with their own communications. So whereas before you could have a very top-line view of what was happening, I think the more you align your communication so that how you're talking to investors is exactly the same as the way that you're talking to consumers, I think the better a company will be. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. A second trend that the uh, report focuses on is data privacy and cybersecurity. Um, and so the report states that thanks to GDPR, the fallout from the Cambridge um, Analytica scandal and record fines from cyber attacks and data breaches, we are more aware than ever of the importance of managing data correctly. Um, and then a few stats from this part of the report. Um, Steph, I know you don't do stats here, but I've got them written down, so that's all right. Uh, 83% of UK consumers said data security and privacy was an important issue. Um, and in fact, it scored the highest across all issues uh, studied and only 41% uh, said they are willing to have their data collected even if it meant forfeiting greater convenience and personalization and then one other interesting finding was that 63% felt that privacy uh, concerns uh, made them less likely to use products and services from companies that use data for their own benefit. Tabitha any thoughts here? For, for OneWeb Security and um, cyber security is embedded in the design of the of the system, but um, more than that, I mean, it's it's our duty to provide a, a really robust and secure internet. Um, I was interested in more our collective responsibility on this as well. So having a kind of cultural Im- embedded kind of way of thinking about things in in security in in the office environment for example even down to kind of leaving stuff around it's it's usually down to human error stuff the interesting thing with data is data sounds like such an innocuous term. And for many of us, we've given up our data quite willingly um, because for the gift of free stuff. So we have suddenly, um, with that data, relinqu- we're relinquishing that data, we have relinquished our rights over it. And the challenge that we have is now we are starting to understand with things like Cambridge Analytica what the real price of that actually is. So in a good world, that data is used um, in order to inform and educate and improve um, behaviour and improve um, decision making. But the fear, I think, and the reason why you're seeing it so high within the authenticity report is when it is not used for good, when it is used for either political bias, when it is used in order to inform either companies or organisations about uh, information that should be private, when it is used against people. And I think companies and organisations and governmental departments have a massive responsibility to protect this data and to protect the rights of the individuals who've unwittingly given it away. 
Okay, uh, final trend uh, that the report talked about, and one that uh, is probably pretty relevant to OneWeb, is the activist uh, CEO. Um, Now, I thought the findings of the report here were really interesting uh, because it states that 76% of engaged consumers in the UK, and uh, by engaged consumer, the report details a full list of things it could mean. So that could include anything from searching for information about a company's products or services or sharing information, news or articles about a company's uh, products or services uh, with others. So 76% of engaged consumers Consumers in the UK expect CEOs to take a stand on issues that have an impact on the company's uh, customers, 72% on products and services, and 76% on their employees. And then 55% uh, think CEOs should act on issues with a large societal impact, even if they don't significantly affect their company. Uh, Tabitha, you have a purpose-driven CEO in Adrian Steckel. Does that make your job easier or harder? (laughs) I I, I think having a purpose purpose-driven CEO and a whole purpose-driven leadership team actually makes it easier because we know we uh, have a really clear kind of vision and mission and we know where we're going. It enthuses people. The employees are excited that, you know, people are drawn to work to us because they are, they kind of feel that mission and vision as well. So it does make it easier. I think um, one of the things is an, an activist CEO as such, I understand it to be a CEO that maybe has opinions about lots of different um, issues of the day or issues that consumers are concerned about. For us particularly, our, our leadership is is very focused on 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 the mission of OneWeb, that is to connect people in, in places where they're not yet connected. So it is pretty focused on, on that kind of sole mission, um, but it is enough, that's enough to kind of inspire a lot of um, passion and excitement in, in me and, and, and my colleagues. Steph, do you- Do you see clients that ever think, you know, if they do have this kind of activist CEOs, like, oh, what are they going to say today? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Which, yeah, I do do see the difference between a purpose-led CEO and an activist CEO as well. And uh, um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think having been at the the other side of uh, broadcast interviews where you've seen an insipid white male um, trying to articulate things with passion and they fail to do so, I would much rather have somebody out there who believed and had a point of view. I think it is more challenging for us as communicators how we manage that and how we channel that in a positive way. But um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And so what if a business doesn't have that charismatic, you know, activist type CEO? I mean, the positive thing is that we're not just expecting to hear from the leadership. Um, We expect to hear from um, people who actually understand what is happening in the business. So organisations where you have um, so many people who are in charge and responsible for different areas and can talk with authority, those are the people we expect to hear from because we know that they are not going to whitewash or give a kind of corporate answer. They're instead going to give us the detail that we expect. Okay, uh, before we finish, I just want to touch on a couple of other sectors that feature in the report um, and get your quick thoughts on the issues faced here. So first up is fashion and clothing, uh, which doesn't come out uh, that well in terms of the environmental issues that we've been talking about, um, as well as having uh, consumer concerns around brands manufacturing in less developed countries, abusing workers' rights and what seems to be a growing pressure for fast fashion too. Uh, Steph, thoughts on this one? Um, 
my thought is it's a tricky it's a tricky area because obviously anything such as the you know the fashion industry is hugely dependent on the supply chain and whereas before the drivers of fashion were very much cost and you know you know fast fashion as we now call it we have the rise of the green consumer who's also expecting to understand where that fashion comes from what are the rights of the individuals who have made that um, garment and you know what uh, is the purpose of the organization that they you know shop from so it, again it goes back to this consumer contradiction where you you will see i mean we see the kind of the amazon and the asos boxes all around our um, postal area but at the same time we see the demand for a more conscientious approach from um, retailers so I don't I don't see this as an easy win for um, the fashion industry I think it will be a brave company that comes out and finds a solution that is going to impact on the consumer and what about the uh, the food sector <laughs> well the food sectors that, that's just as um, challenging because um, the food sector is incredibly, um, it, it's one of those industries where particularly consumers feel that they understand it. So they, for them, it's quite a black and white issue. So you shouldn't be pulling down trees in order to kind of create, um, you know, to make way for certain crops. You, you should be finding a way to um, ensure that you can continue to pay for the same for the chocolate bar that you've always bought. And again, it's once again, they don't see the contradiction in that. They don't understand that if we're going to follow fair trade pro- policies or we're going to ensure the fair wage, um, then that will have impact an impact on how much we actually pay for those products. So it's, it's a tr- tough one to navigate. Tabitha, you used to work in the food sector, didn't you? I did in a in a past life, and I, I feel like um, it, it's pretty challenging in the food sector right now. And and they ha- they're having to really transition and pivot their business models substantially, particularly around healthy eating, palm oil. There are so many issues to do with food, food sourcing, food scarcity. And it, it's about a real re- building relationship with the consumer. So they invest time in listening to those challenges and, and, and arguments from the food sector. Often, you know, when you're, when you're grabbing your stuff off the supermarket shelves, you, you kind of, you know, rushing and thinking, but sorry, rushing to, to buy the products without thinking too much and now you you do want to know what's behind them you do want to know what they're exactly all the ingredients that they're made of so for for particularly for food companies i think they're really really trying to change but it's a, it's a big it's a big process and pretty hard i actually think what we will probably see in the same way as you have labeling nutritional labeling we will probably see environmental labeling coming in to give those consumers that journey which at the moment you're very it's it's very dark what what is happening once the farmers have um, grown that product, what happens next? And I think the big challenge is that you have some very big players, such as you know the supermarkets, who are um, changing the kind of price structure and creating systems which which the producers are finding it hard to exist and respond to. It's interesting, actually. I um, so I'm at 52 years old, uh, changing my diet quite a lot in terms of eating you know less meat well certainly you know stopped eating red meat trying to eat no meat at the moment but i also tried for the first time um recently uh, vegan ice cream which is made with rice milk um it sounds disgusting it was right so it was pe- it was peanut butter flavor and it was incredible but my point just picking up on what you were just saying there i 
when you then looked at it in the supermarket, it was more expensive. Right. And if we're trying to encourage a change in behaviour, how is that going to work? You know, if, if people, if consumers then see, well, I've got to pay an extra one pound fifty for that ice cream, I'll stick with with what I'm doing. And that, does that come back to the the contradiction in terms of like, you know, yeah. seeing what we want to do, but actually, it's it's cheaper for me to so, to continue yeah. my journey and, exactly. and, and, and my behaviour here. I think it's always been like this. I think the the decisions that we've seen um, pushed by supermarkets are being pushed by the consumers themselves. So the c- consumers want parity in their in their product choices when there shouldn't be parity. So much as you wouldn't pay less for a luxury item, so you shouldn't pay less for an item that is sustainably sourced. Okay, uh, we have discussed a huge uh, range of issues. So very easy for us to, uh, as consumers, criticise companies, I think, and set um, high expectations when, in fairness, we can be quite hypocritical ourselves. We talked about this, actually. Um, So just mentioned I'm eating less red meat uh, for the environment, but then picking up on what you said earlier, I was quite happily flew to uh, South America for my (laughs) holiday. So uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, Isn't there a stat about you have to eat no meat for a year? to offset the carbon of, of flying is that what it is one flight well I'm, I saw that you I'm might check that <laughs> <laughs> well what I was going to say is taking in con- into consideration that no one you know none of us are, are, are perfect so when it comes to a business what does good look like and Tabitha I'm going to ask you to start on this one at OneWeb, we have um, a, a value called leading with heart. And I think it starts from that, that authentic position of what what do I believe in and what do, do what's right, try and do what's right. And you can know what's right by listening and measuring and understanding um, the, the kind of world and, and your stakeholders around you. So th- for me, that's that's what good looks like, is, is doing what's right um, and having an inspiring vision on the top of that, which, which helps to, to galvanise people to do what's right. Steph? I, I would say um, these are huge issues that we've been talking about. It's very easy for organisations to hide behind those, those issues, hide behind shared responsibility and not genuinely take a stand. And I think with the next generation, I think that's changed and I think they will they will vote with their wallet and they will they will move away from organisations that don't actually have a purpose and don't actually look at the future. We need to bring this to a close. So, Steph, there's a link uh, from your homepage at fhflondon.co.uk where listeners to this podcast um, can download a copy of the report. When they do that, how are they going to use the data within it to close any authenticity gap of relating to their business? I think um, the best way to use this data is to understand what consumers expect of you. So it's very hard when you're putting together um, any kind of communications plan to see whether you where you can authentically communicate. One of the benefits of this is that you can look at the nine drivers and actually see where you can have a genuine voice within the debate. Fascinating discussion. I want to thank my guests for joining me today. So Tabitha Aldridge-Smith of OneWeb and of course Steph Bailey of Fleischmann Hillard Fishburne and indeed thanks to Steph's team for hosting us this morning. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion you can do that on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter feeds and those are linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads 
playlist for each episode via the likes of Spotify or iTunes. And if you've liked what you've heard, then please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, we're also on all your favourite podcast apps. So just search for the C-Suite podcast and uh, hit subscribe. Just a quick reminder that if you want to download a copy of Fleischmann Hillard Fishburne's Authenticity Gap Report, then simply go to fhflondon.co.uk and follow the link and you really can't miss it. It's on the homepage there. And finally, if you would like to get in touch with this show, uh, you can do that via our contact form at csuitepodcast.com or you can reach me via Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith or find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you.